0: Welcome back to the Go Gamecocks podcast. This is the state's Dwayne McLemore, sports editor, talking with Ben Briner about the Gamecocks, all things Gamecocks, but, yeah, mostly football, particularly this week. This is the podcast that you can listen to as you go from point A to point B. And to be honest with you, Ben, I thought we'd be sitting here talking this week about sort of a ho-hum Charleston Southern game, South Carolina's 1-0, and even after the other day, I thought we'd be talking about more about the fact that North Carolina won, a little more of the fallout from that. But that's not even the biggest storyline as we sit here today. Jake Bentley is hurt, exactly how hurt is still to be determined, but could be out at least six weeks or longer. What do you make of, of Jake Bentley's injury news and sort of how that affects the Gamecocks?
1: I think it changes things because you're not going to have quite the expectations that you had with a senior quarterback running an offense he's run for a while, and trying to make sort of his last ride. There's sort of a reset button effect that happens when you've got a freshman quarterback. And they've got one of those right now. I think it changes the dynamics. I'm not terribly sure how it affects what people kind of think about how this season might go because the road was going to be rocky beforehand. And there's a lot of hype around Ryan Holinsky. I don't yet know what he'll be able to do. Will he be able to live up to some of that? Will he kind of have some of those moments that inspire some people to be pretty excited? And you know what, for all I know, Jake Bentley came in a few years back and kind of set the world on fire. So it's not inconceivable that Hillinsky could do something similar. But it definitely changes expectations to a degree because you've got a guy who's barely removed from high school handling the most important position on the field.
0: Coach Muschamp at his weekly press conference, I thought was pretty open about the injury itself, what happened, when it happened, and sort of the timetable. What do you think about what he said about the injury, and then something that we've all speculated on, which is really, what are Bentley's options moving forward?
1: Well, starting with the injury, I think to a degree he had to say something like that, because rumors were running rampant, and a lot of them were kind of dumb, people probably making up that he'd broken his foot kicking a locker or some sort of nonsense, but I think he seemed to be somewhat open about it, which he isn't always open about injuries. And he, you know, he he didn't mention anything about it on his teleconference on Sunday, despite the fact that he said Sunday morning he knew something was wrong. So I don't I don't know that you can a hundred percent believe every bit of it. But he certainly provided a fair amount of detail. Said it happened on the last play when Bentley's foot got kind of bent up in a, in a bit of a weird way. And. It, it creates a very strange situation for Jake Bentley because we don't know how Holinsky's going to do, and if he does well, does that make things happen in a different way? And if he doesn't do well, what kind of dynamics does that change? In theory, if Jake Bentley's out all season, he could come back. I don't exactly know if he would because he's, he's got NFL dreams. Maybe he just says he it's time to make it a jump. Maybe he thinks that one fully empty season and one very bad performance simply aren't enough. So it's it's possible that if Halinsky's very good, you could end up with a graduate transfer situation. I'm not really sure. I think I think there's just a lot of options available, and so much of it rests on what happens from here on out. Shoot, if if they go, you know, if they have a really rough season, maybe he does come back. Maybe he says, "I'll give this one more go." But it definitely. There definitely is a kind of a lot of directions this could go right now.
0: You touched on this a little bit earlier, but what do you expect from Ryan Helensky this week? What do you think South Carolina expects from Ryan Helensky this week? What, what would be a good game beyond just a win?
1: I think a good game would, first of all, not having him get hit too much. But beyond that, I think a good game would be one where he just gets the ball into the hands of playmakers with accurate passes. That might mean more slants. That might mean screens that hit guys in the right way. That might mean a solid completion percentage, maybe not a big yardage total. And it might mean just taking the plays that are there. And at times, it seemed like taking the plays that are there were had been a bit of an issue for Jake Bentley. So if Valencia can even do that, that would help them, I think, out immensely. Obviously, they have to win. That's a given, given it's an FCS team. And maybe have a little more inspiring of a performance than, say, Brandon McIlwain's opener against East Carolina back in 2016, which... Had moments, but you could kind of tell that this might be a little bit rickety.
0: Now, these are the kind of games where you know you're going to see Ryan Helensky starting, of course. But if things fall the right way, on Joyner should get some snaps at quarterback. And heck, maybe even Jay Urich. So what has to happen for all three of those guys to see time?
1: Well, I think for Joiner, some of it's going to be just does the staff install some sort of package for him? Muschamp was pretty adamant that his life, his practice doesn't change all that much. Despite this change, he's still going to work summit wide receiver, and I think we'd probably see him at summit wide receiver. So you'll have a couple quarterbacks on the field. I don't really know what you do with Jay Urich if he gets snaps beyond playing wide receiver. He obviously got receiver snaps last week, and they should be in position to, you know, run run out to a big lead of some sort, just because FCS Charleston Southern. For the most part, we're going to see a lot of Ryan, and then some Joiner. I don't I don't know about Uric just yet.
0: Is this coming off this loss, quarterback change? This sort of the cliche perfect game on the schedule to sort of make things right
1: well it's the perfect game followed by the least perfect game i don't know if it makes things right because it's still an fcs game and there's still only so much you can do in an fcs game but at the very least it could give uh, the gamecocks a chance to sort of get a few swings in get some confidence back i don't know that it'll get the fan base's confidence back unless ryan hlinski throws for 300 yards but it'll at least give them a sense of, of things being on a little bit more stable of ground, if nothing else. Not much more stable, but a little bit. And, and there's actually a small irony that before the 2018 season, with all the promise it had, Ryan Linsky had said several times that he figured Jake was going to go pro, and then he would be competing for a chance to play Alabama and williams Bryce at the start of 2019. And now, weirdly, he's going to end up getting that chance.
0: We sort of know what should happen this weekend as far as wins and loss. We sort of know what should happen next weekend as far as a win and a loss. How crucial are those next four or five games really to this season in determining what the Gamecocks can be? That that schedule is at Missouri, home against Kentucky, at Georgia, home against Florida, at Tennessee, and then we'll go ahead and throw in home against Vanderbilt. Really, how, how much are we going to learn these next two weeks versus those next five or six weeks?
1: I think the next two weeks are going to be about, can Helensky show promise against Charleston Southern? Can everyone stay healthy against Alabama? And to be honest, that second part would have probably been true even if jake bentley was was in there the missouri and kentucky games are going to be interesting missouri had pretty much a nightmare of an opener kentucky was shaky against toledo which usually isn't a good indicator of anything so i think a lot of it's going to come down to start with those two games can south carolina win both if they can win both they've kind of still got the season sort of on stable ground if they lose one the bull hope starts to really wane uh if they lose both you know things could get extremely dicey. Georgia is Georgia. Florida is kind of an unknown product. Their opener was pretty atrocious to watch, but they did win, which is more than you can say for a bunch of other SEC East teams. And a lot of that's going to be, are they as good as people thought they might be able to be? Um, Tennessee Vanderbilt also really crucial games because Tennessee lost to Sean Elliott's Georgia State team, which is its own kind of mess. And Vanderbilt is, at least last year, they were feisty enough to maybe cause some problems. So if South Carolina wants to, you know, even climb into a position that would match what they were hoping for in the preseason, you've probably got to win all four of those games or at least win, win those four games and at least give have a good showing against Florida.
0: Offensive line didn't play super well last week. I think we can all agree on that. Bentley was knocked around quite a bit, including that last play where we believe that injury may have occurred. Will Muschamp publicly has admitted that they're shuffling the offensive line around. What's happening there and why?
1: First off, they're moving Donnell Stanley back to center, which is pushing Jordan Rhodes into the starting lineup and Stanley and... Muschamp basically said that Eric Douglas, who started at right guard against North Carolina, is kind of on shaky ground. They kept mentioning Joe Von Gwen, hoping he could do more. The second-year player's a pretty strong kid, and they kind of like his upside. I think what it was was that Douglas and Hank Manos just didn't have great games. Manos seemed to get, be getting pushed back a lot. He's not the biggest dude. He's pretty young. So I, I think it's just a reaction to the fact that they really had trouble protecting Bentley up the middle, He was having to step into guys. He was having to kind of escape from the pocket. It was just sort of not a great game for them on that front, and they're hoping that Stanley and Rhodes and maybe Gwen can provide a little more beef and a little more talent. I think that that group has kind of some size and some strength, and maybe that can provide sort of the the winning edge on that front.
0: If you followed Ben for any length of time, you know he is a film nerd, a play call nerd. I don't think he... We'll think less of me for calling him that. A question I have for you, especially watching the game last week, one of the base plays in the offense seems to be just running up the middle, running up the middle, and at least from my vantage point where I was taking pictures on the field, didn't seem to be too effective. Can you explain in its simplest terms what exactly is going on when South Carolina is, quote, Running it up the middle.
1: So, the challenge here is that whenever you watch a football game on TV, or usually from the stands, you're looking at the offensive line from the side. And from end to end, that offensive line might be 20 feet across. You know, you have big humans, wide stances, and the gaps are usually bigger than you think. But when you look at it from the side, it looks like a rather narrow area. The reason most running plays, not just in South Carolina's offense, but in pretty much every offense, attack those spots are because that is where the blockers are, and that's where what are called the gaps are, which are the holes you would run through. Running to the edge has up and down elements because those linebackers are going to move, those safeties are going to move, and... They can track people down, hit people for losses. And so when people complain that they're running up the middle too much, it's usually because those runs are ineffective. And that's because all bad runs look ineffective, and most of them end up looking like they're up the middle unless someone gets really strung out on the edge and tackled for a big loss. Even uh, during the North Carolina game itself, there were a couple plays where they had sweeps that totally got busted. Those are technically outside runs, but they got busted because... North Carolina contained the edge, and I'm betting that people would say, well, that's a run up the middle because the running back never got outside the tackle. But that was just because it was a bad run. A lot of it's got to be, if you you need to play well, and they just didn't play well. And if you play well, all those runs look a lot better, and more of them will bust further downfield, and therefore will look and feel more like they're getting to the outside.
0: One of the weirdest things I thought that happened during the game and after the game was the sort of the social media fire, not just from fans, but from former players. Some of them who called out current players by name. There was sort of – it was a lot of back and forth. I know you saw it. We all saw it. Just a lot of heated moments. Will Muschamp was asked a little bit about that at at the weekly press conference, just sort of, you know, a lot of fans had had openly come out and said, okay, I'm done, this is it. What do you make of these comments right here that Will Muschamp made? You know what? We're pissed off too. As coaches, as staffs, we're in a little bit of a bunker mentality. I could – you know, I don't read your articles and podcasts or whatever you do. So, at the end of the day, it's about what do we need to do to win? And let's try and rally to win games. And that's what we're going to do as a staff, and that's what we're going to do as a, as a team, and what we're going to do as an organization. So, help us win games. That's, that, that would be my message. Let's go help us win some football games. And that's what we plan on doing.
1: I think it's a moment of him letting his personality show through a little bit and kind of pointing out something that should sort of be obvious, that coaches are people who work 80-hour weeks to try to win football games. All of them do that. The good ones, the bad ones, the ones in the low levels, the ones at the highest levels. They all put a lot of time into this, and it ends up being a zero-sum game where someone who works eight hours a week is going to lose one game on a weekend. They might lose a lot of games in a season. And as mad as fans are, the coaches are also mad because they have some measure of control and those failures are reflected on them. And so I think he was just letting a little little out about how he was sort of, he was angry about it because his team came out and played particularly badly in a moment when they really couldn't afford to. And I think it's been interesting to watch how things have turned because it was so unexpected and... The different voices that have been mad about it and the weird little quirks about what has happened on social media even before the Holinsky thing and the Jake Bentley thing all came to pass. I was speaking to someone, I think it was in the off season, and they asked about the North Carolina game. And I said, people aren't thinking too much about the North Carolina game because if South Carolina loses to North Carolina, it means that making a bowl is going to be extremely difficult. So it's just the kind of thing that people don't put at top of mind because they don't want to say – this team might win four games in the offseason. And then it happened, and all of a sudden those emotions and those insecurities that people had been, you know, putting aside suddenly come rushing back with a vengeance.
0: Yeah, I thought it was particularly weird that a couple of weeks ago, I think most people thought this would be a 2-0 South Carolina team going into the Alabama game, and here we are after one game, and in the hours after that one game, and folks are asking questions like, what is Will Muschamp's buyout? So for the purpose of this podcast, what is Will Muschamp's buyout? I need to 100%
1: crunch the numbers. The listed number as of the beginning of April, I believe, was $18 million. I need to check if that's prorated through the season, as in every month that goes by, some of it comes off. I believe it is at least $18 million and might be closer to $14 million by the time you would end up Cutting him loose, and I have read a couple figures where people have listed it actually as 22 million. Not totally sure the math behind that. Regardless, say it's a lot of money and possibly enough to prevent him from getting ousted
0: this season unless a lot of things went very wrong. A big reason South Carolina struggled against North Carolina was that Gamecock's defense gave up a couple big plays. Seem to be a lot of crucial third-down conversions for North Carolina. What all do we know about any defensive changes that may or may not happen this week?
1: It doesn't sound like there are going to be a ton of real defensive tweaks. There's going to be some hope that a few freshmen step up a little more. Muschamp seemed pretty satisfied with parts of what the defensive line did. Less so with some of his younger guys, liked his veterans. I think a lot of it is just players need to make basic football plays better. They need to hold up in their gaps better. They need to win their one-on-one battles better. They need to get in the right position to actually tackle people instead of just sort of sliding off. And this sounds basic, and it sounds like something players should be doing all the time, but when it goes sideways, you just give up batches of big plays. And it seemed like that was really kind of what was happening.
0: Game time, noon, Saturday, South Carolina and Charleston Southern are doing everything they can to make sure this game is played. Charleston Southern has canceled classes and they are not actually in Charleston right now. Where are they been?
1: They're up in Charlotte and are busing down to Columbia every day to use a bunch of South Carolina's facilities, eat at one of their cafeterias, use their weight room. It's it's actually kind of a very cool thing that USC is doing. I don't know what that's going to mean come game time. South Carolina should win this game. Charleston Southern has not been a good program in a few years. Well, they're a rebuilding program now. They were good a few years ago. Then they had a scandal of sorts and have since been rebuilding from that. They seem to have a roster that is heavy on former Gamecock one-time targets or with a few Gamecocks on the roster. But I think that USC should be in good position to win easily. And it's just kind of a weird situation that they're, you know, using a bunch of their buildings this week.
0: We didn't ask you to make a prediction last week. Predictions have been our thing in the past, so you got a score in mind for this week's game?
1: I've not quite sat down and looked closely at Charleston Southern, but I would go with South Carolina
0: in the 38-13 to range. I just wrote down 45-10 to off the top of my head, so it's about the same neighborhood.
1: Yeah, I think that South Carolina should get in position to blow things out, and if they don't, it probably would say something troubling about the running game, since that's something that they're going to have to rely on. And based on how they started last week, it would probably be good to see the running game be able to maintain to some degree.
0: That's it for this week's edition of the Go Game Cox podcast. You can support our work with our digital-only Sports Pass. Still only $30 for the first year. Get more details on that at thestate.com slash sportspass. Our next episode drops after the Charleston Southern game leading into the Alabama game, and I am quite certain we will still have plenty to talk about next week. Take care, guys.